You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. The book of Acts is kind of like a skeleton. I attended school here in third and fourth grade, and I had a classroom that was just through those doors into a different building and, and on the bottom floor. And I remember, I'm not sure if it was second grade or third grade, our teacher brought in a skeleton into the classroom. Well, that was too much for me. I mean, that was horrifying. I'd never seen it. It was just a plastic model. It wasn't a real skeleton. It was plastic bones. But I can still picture the classroom in the corner, and I sat mesmerized by this skeleton thinking, that's what's inside of me? And then all of the stuff that goes on top of that skeleton. The book of Acts is kind of like a skeleton. And on that skeleton, we hang the vital organs of Paul's letters, and we put on the the muscles and the sinews and the tendons of Peter's letters and John's letters, and everything else in the New Testament really hangs on this skeleton that Luke is giving us in the book of Acts. Today, we get to plug into the Acts equation at least one more book, because we're going to intersect another book today in Acts chapter 19, and I want you to turn there. We're going to look at specifically two verses, 21 and 22. At first brush, verse 21 and 22 of Acts chapter 19 does not seem like it's all that exciting material, and really on the surface of it, it's not. It's really kind of sparse as far as details go and interesting stuff goes, but I have to pause here like Luke does to fill you in on some details that are going on that really bring to life all of Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 21 and 22. Now, after these things, after what things? After Paul had been in the synagogue in Ephesus and been kicked out of the synagogue in Ephesus, after he uh, taught two years in the school of Tyrannus, after God had performed signs and wonders at the hand of Paul, after the exorcism with the sons of Sceva and getting whooped and sent out of the house, and after that massive repentance and book burning that the Ephesian Christians came out and burned all their scrolls and their incantations, after all of these things, Luke tells us, verse 21, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who were ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Now, in the fast-paced chronology of everything that's going on in Ephesus, and Luke has revealed a tremendous amount of stuff that's going on there, the public repentance and the book burnings and the miracles and the teaching and the busyness where the Word of God is spread throughout all of the regions of Asia so that everybody in Asia hears the Word of God. Luke pauses for just a couple of minutes to give us a glimpse at Paul's plans and at Paul's passion. Those two things. Those are the two things I want you to notice. Paul's plans and Paul's passion. So since Luke pauses for a second in this fast-paced chronology to give us a glimpse at that, we're going to pause this morning for just a second. And I want to unpack for you all of the stuff that's going on in the background of verse 21 and verse 22 that really puts a lot of flesh on what's going on in In Ephesus, and I mean flesh as in stuff that we can kind of see and feel, not flesh as in carnality, not flesh as opposed to spirit, but sort of put some color into the picture of Acts chapter 19. As we've been going through the book of Acts, I've asked you to write into your margins where different books were written, so that if you were to flip back to the end of Acts chapter 14 and beginning of Acts chapter 15, you'd probably have a note that says Galatians written 
49 A.D. And then if you were to move forward to Acts chapter 18, you would see it by 18 verse 2, 1 Thessalonians written, 50 A.D. And then you would scroll down later on, Acts chapter 18 verse 12, you would see 2 Thessalonians written. That is if you've been keeping the notes there, and you would see something like 51 A.D. Now we get to Acts chapter 19 verse 21, and there's another book that comes in. It's 1 Corinthians. So right next to Acts chapter 19, verse 21, I want you to write the words, 1 Corinthians, written, and then write this date, if you've been keeping track of the date as well, 55 A.D. 1 Corinthians, written, 19, verse 21, 55 A.D. Now let me tell you about what's been going on that led to the writing of 1 Corinthians. Now I have to be honest with you, 1 Corinthians is not the first book to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is actually the second book to the Corinthians. There was a letter before 1 Corinthians. In fact, if the Lord had seen fit, if he had preserved all of the letters that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, we would have four Corinthian letters. We would have 1 Corinthians, which is the book written before our 1 Corinthians. That would be 1 Corinthians. And then we'd have 2 Corinthians, which would be our 1 Corinthians. And then we'd have 3 Corinthians, which was written between our 1 Corinthians and our 2 Corinthians. And then we would have 4 Corinthians, which is really our 2 Corinthians. Did you catch all that? We have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. There's a letter written before 1 Corinthians. There's a letter written between those two books. The Lord has only seen fit to preserve for us what we have as 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Now let me tell you the story about how those epistles came to be. Paul has been traveling when he left for his third missionary journey. He comes to the city of Ephesus. At some time early in his time in Ephesus, Paul hears of some troubles in Corinth. What were the troubles? What did they come out of? Do you remember what Corinth was noted for? Immorality. Of all the things that their city was known for, it was their sexual deviancy and their immorality. There's immorality in the church in Corinth. And so Paul hears of some of these problems and some of these issues that have come up in Corinth. And remember, somebody has already traveled from Ephesus to Corinth. It was Apollos. Remember, he came to Ephesus and Priscilla and Aquila straightened him out. And then he went over to Achaia and was ministering in the church of Corinth, probably trying to sort out some of these issues. But when Paul gets to Ephesus, he hears there are some problems going on in the church of Corinth. So Paul writes a letter. That's the first letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Paul mentions a letter that he wrote before our 1 Corinthians. So Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. And he sent it over there. Well, the letter didn't really help out too much, if really at all, because the Corinthians just had some questions. So they fired back a letter to the Apostle Paul. That's 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, they sent a letter back, likely by the hands of somebody from the household of Chloe. And along with this letter that had all of the questions in it that the Apostle Paul answers in 1 Corinthians, questions about the marriage relationship, questions about spiritual gifts, questions about meat offered to idols, about the Lord's Supper, about the resurrection about the offering that was being taken up, all of these questions that Paul addressed, those came in a letter from Corinth to Ephesus. And Paul read the letter, and with it came Chloe, or somebody from Chloe's household. And they said, you're not going to believe what's going on in Corinth. There's sexual immorality inside the church. Inside their worship services, there's drunkenness. They have so defaced the Lord's Supper that it is almost unrecognizable. You wouldn't believe what's going on over there. There are divisions. There are factions. There's people in the church who are claiming to belong to Paul's group and some claiming to belong to Peter's group and some who are claiming to belong to Apollos who just come from Ephesus a couple years earlier. And when it comes to the matter of spiritual gifts, 
It is pandemonium in the church. They don't understand tongues, prophecy, interpretation, none of it. They have so warped and distorted the spiritual gifts that they don't have anything right when it comes to giftedness. They just have a lot of gifts, but they're using them selfishly. And there are even some in the Corinthian church who are denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul was upset. So he wrote 1 Corinthians, the book that we have is 1 Corinthians. And the first half, Paul deals with some of the issues that had come up from Chloe's report. In the second half, he deals with the issues that had come up in the letters that they, the letter that they had written to Paul. And he sends that off to Ephesus with a hand of Timothy. All of this is going on while Paul's in Ephesus. And Paul is teaching daily in the school of Tyrannus and going on about his ministry. And he sends Timothy off with 1 Corinthians. And Timothy arrives in the Corinthian church and he delivers their letter. He gets up to read it and guess what? Timothy finds that things in Corinth are worse than they had feared originally. There were false teachers who had crept into Corinth and brought some of their Gnostic heresies, denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On top of all of that, they were tearing the Apostle Paul apart. They questioned his apostleship. They said he was a sexual deviant. They said he was in ministry for their money. They said he was weak. They said, oh yeah, he's real powerful. You get up and you read his letters and he sounds like big man Paul. But then he comes to us and he's weak and sipid. He's really not even an apostle. You shouldn't even consider him an apostle. He's a powerless little limp. And listen, the whole church had bought into this. Paul had invested 18 years of his life in this church and these false teachers had managed to turn nearly everybody against the apostle Paul. Timothy delivered the letter. He returned to Ephesus and he told Paul everything that was going on in the church of Corinth. And Paul made a, a, a trip from Ephesus to Corinth himself to deal with the situation. Now that trip is not mentioned in the book of Acts. It is mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13. Paul says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. When was the first time? Acts chapter 18, when he came there and planted the church. At some point, from Ephesus, the apostle Paul made a trip himself to Corinth. So that by the time he writes 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm coming again, and this is the third time I'm coming. This second trip that he made, that's in the background of verse 21, right before verse 21 in Acts chapter 19, that is what Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as a painful visit, a sorrowful visit. Do you know why it was painful? When the Apostle Paul showed up in Corinth, he tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, there was somebody in the church, I think likely a false teacher, there was somebody in the church who opposed Paul publicly and insulted him publicly, and the church did nothing about it. Without any kind of resolution to the issue, the Apostle Paul, in tremendous personal pain, went back to Ephesus. Now, you can relate to the Apostle Paul. You know what it's like to have somebody that you've invested a lot of time and a lot of energy in and a lot of your life in, somebody that you've loved selfishly for a long period of time, turn on you and shove the knife right in your back and start slandering you and blaspheming you and tearing you apart with their words. You ever had that happen? A friend, a relative, a sibling? That's what Paul was going through. It was a painful visit, he said. So he went back to Ephesus, and from Ephesus he wrote that letter that comes between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that Paul calls a severely worded letter. He was harsh. I'm actually quite glad the Lord did not preserve that letter for us. Because Paul let him have it. And he rebuked them so strongly. And he rebuked them. And listen, I don't think it was any kind of a fleshly demonstration or any kind of a sinful rebuke. I think the Apostle Paul just put it right on the line. And he sent that severely worded letter 
by the hands of Titus, and Titus went to Corinth with that third letter. Why did he send Titus instead of Timothy? Well, you read the book of Titus, and you kind of get an idea of what Titus is like. You know what Titus was like? When Paul wrote the book of Titus, he says, rebuke them, reprove them, correct them, set these things in order. And it was like you didn't have to convince Titus that he needed to be a bulldog. He was just that type of a guy. I mean, a steel-spined, you send me in there with this letter, Paul, and I'll get a hammer and nail and nail these guys to the wall. That was Titus. I mean, he had a steel back and he wasn't going to bend. Now, when Paul writes to Timothy, what does he say? Timothy, cowboy up. Join me in suffering for the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me or the prisoner. Timothy's a meek, he's a mild, he's a gentleman, he's, he's a peacemaker. And listen, you never send a peacemaker to go to war because they will appease the enemy and before long the enemy will think that the peacemaker's on their side. So he sends Titus, not Timothy. And Titus goes in there and he leaves Ephesus and Paul's waiting. Then Paul is supposed to meet Titus up in Troas and he makes plans to leave. That's where verse 21 of Acts chapter 19 comes in. Paul makes plans to leave Macedon, uh, Ephesus for Macedonia. And he goes up to Troas and he's supposed to meet Titus there. Now in Troas, the Lord gives him a great opportunity for ministry. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, a wide door for effective ministry has been opened to me. But, Paul says, I did not find Titus and I had no rest inside my spirit. So I left and I went on to Macedonia. Paul couldn't find Titus. He had an opportunity for ministry, but Paul said this situation in Corinth has to be dealt with. So he left that opportunity for ministry, and he went instead over to Macedonia to look for Titus. He found him in Philippi, where Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. And when Paul found Titus, guess what he heard? Good news. The church, at least for the most part, had repented. They had confronted that individual who opposed the Apostle Paul publicly, and had insulted him. Most of the church was on the men. There were still some issues that had to be handled out. And so Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. This is up in Acts chapter 20, which we'll get to in a couple years. He wrote 2 Corinthians, and he says to them, I'm coming now the third time to you, and I'm going to set these things in order. Titus has brought us refreshing and good and comforting news, and we're pleased that these things have happened amongst you, but there were still some things that need to be sorted out. And so Paul was planning another visit. So that's how all of that fleshed out. Now keep in mind that everything that I have just described to you is happening in the background of Acts chapter 19. Now can you relate to the Apostle Paul for just a second? He has been teaching in the school of Tyrannus daily, spreading the Word of God throughout all of Asia. Churches are being planted like Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and all of these churches that we read about in Revelation throughout the, the region of Asia. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's discipling, he's planting the church in Ephesus. There's these book burnings and these mass repentance going on. Paul is an incredibly busy man. But on top of it, he has all of this baggage with the Corinthian church that's been hounding him. And he's got to write four letters to the church in Corinth to try and get them sorted out. Friends, have you ever been in a place in your life where you have worked and you have served so vehemently, so passionately, and so so convincingly that when it comes 8 o'clock at night, the only thing you want to do is drop into bed. But at the same time, in spite of how tired you are, there is this gnawing thing in your life that you know has to be dealt with, you know has to be resolved, and sleep evades you. You ever had that? And you're tired at 8, but you can't get to sleep till 12, 30, 1 o'clock because of this issue that so concerns you and so vexes your spirit that you want it to be resolved but it hasn't been resolved yet. And then you wake up at way before the alarm wakes you up, and guess what you're thinking about? Maybe it's the report from the doctor, the terminal illness. 
strife that you have with a sibling or a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law or sin in the life of a child, maybe a, a child has gone astray, something that just gnaws and weighs on you and you find it a matter of prayer and all you can do is just go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know what I'm dealing with, but this is tearing me apart emotionally and I don't know if I can deal with this issue. That's what Paul is going through on the emotional and spiritual level while he is so busy with what goes on in Ephesus. So verse 21 says, this is where we get back to our text, Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia. After all of this busyness, and after everything that went on in Corinth and is going on in Corinth, after writing that strongly worded letter and sending it off with Titus to the church in Corinth, Paul makes plans to leave. I think Paul figured the ministry in Ephesus is going well enough that I can leave it. But we've had this, we have a pure church, a holy church that has repented of all their magical arts and spiritism involvement that we just had, that massive book burning. Things are going well enough that he can leave the ministry there, feels comfortable in leaving the ministry there. And so Luke says he purposed in his spirit to leave. Now here's the question. Should spirit be capitalized or not? Some of your translations may capitalize the word spirit. Others don't capitalize the word spirit. Did Paul make this decision and this plan in his own heart, in his own mind, as far as planning his itinerary, or was this something that was given to Paul by revelation of the Spirit? I think it is the earlier. I think that it's something that Paul decided to do. When Luke wants to tell us that Paul's plans were directed by the Spirit of God, there's no confusion there. He just says, the Spirit said to Paul, do such and such. But here, the Apostle Paul makes his own decision. He says, the ministry in Ephesus is going well enough. I could stay here and continue to serve. And I could leave the situation in Corinth, but Paul knows that there is a pressing issue in Corinth that needs to be dealt with. And so he purposes in his spirit, that is, he sets it in his mind and decides in his own mind, I'm going to travel back to Jerusalem, which is east of where Paul's at. You can see that on the map that's on the back of your insert. That's east, going through Macedonia and Achaia, which is west. Now, only the Apostle Paul could say, I'm going to go east by heading west, which is what he does. Like me saying, I'm going to go to here in Montana, after I passed through Seattle and Tacoma, Vancouver and Portland. Now, how do you do that? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul does. Why is he purposing to go back to Jerusalem, but he wants to go through Macedonia and Achaia first? You know why? Really, primarily three reasons. First, he's going to encourage the believers that are there. He wants to visit the churches in Thessalonica and Berea, maybe the, some believers in Athens along the way. Second, he wants to deal with the situation in Corinth. Listen, when something like this is going on in the church or within the body of Christ, it has to be dealt with. And the Apostle Paul was not going to go back to Jerusalem before he dealt with this issue in Corinth and got this straightened out. So that's why he's going through those areas. And third, and we find out about this in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans, Paul was collecting an offering for the saints in Jerusalem. Things were going financially poor in Jerusalem, and he's collecting an offering in those cities as he's going back through uh, that those different regions, and he's going to take that with him to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to notice something here. There is nothing wrong with making plans. You see that, what the Apostle Paul does? There's nothing wrong with making plans. It's the man who plans his paths, but the Lord directs his steps. And there's nothing sinful, and there's no lack of faith in saying, today I'm going to do this, tomorrow I'm planning to do such and such and so and so. The sin comes when we say, tomorrow I'm going to do such and such and so and so, and we leave the Lord out of the equation entirely. That's not what Paul did. All of his plans were made for the advancement of the kingdom, for the glory of God, in submission to the will of God. 
And you're going to see in a second that sometimes Paul's plans and the Lord's plans were not the same. But Paul always submitted his plans to the Lord's plans. A wise man plans his steps and says, today I'll do this, tomorrow I'm planning to do such and such and so and so, and looks out and sets some goals and makes some plans, but you always hold those things loosely, which is what Paul did. Paul was not a fly-by-the-seat of his pants, random, chaotic missionary who threw darts at a wall to determine what the next city he was going to go to was. The Apostle Paul planned his path and his steps very strategically. And you see this in the second thing I want you to notice. We've looked at his plans. Look at his passions. The end of verse 21, he says, after he's passed through Macedonia and Achaia, he said, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now stop for a second. Rome. Have you heard about Rome yet in all of the book of Acts? All of a sudden, Rome just sort of comes on to the radar screen. We haven't read about Rome. We haven't seen Rome in the picture. Everything has been the eastern part of the empire, from Jerusalem over to Achaia, this basically half of the Roman Empire. Rome hasn't even come up yet. And here the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem through Macedonia and Achaia, and after there I've seen Rome. Now consider what he's saying. By the time he finishes this third missionary journey, he will have gone 1,400 miles as the crow flies. That's just accounting of what we're told. That's not all the little trips that he takes that Acts doesn't mention. 1,400 miles and he gets back to Jerusalem. He's 55 years old and before he's done with this third missionary journey, he's planning number four. And what's on his radar screen? Rome. Why Rome? Rome is the hub out of which everything else flows. The Apostle Paul wants to take his flag and plant it right in the heart of the Roman beast. Did he want to see the emperor? Was Paul planning to preach the gospel to Nero or Claudius? Did Paul want to stand before the emperor? I don't know if that was his plan or not. But Paul did want to take the gospel to Rome. He sets his sights high. I'm going to go all the way back to Jerusalem. Then from Jerusalem, I'm going to go almost as far west as I can go to the city of Rome. And I'm going to preach Christ where Christ has never been preached again. Now, friends, I ask you, do you set your sights and your plans that high? Or are you content with mediocrity when it comes to planning things? Do you expect and ask God for great things? And do you attempt great things? Sometimes we have to lift our eyes off of our little world long enough to see that there are bigger things out there that maybe we should be attempting for the Lord. Bigger things out there than my little circle and my little life and my little ministry and maybe I should plan and ask God for and set my heart on something that's bigger than just me. That's what the Apostle Paul does. I want Rome. He wasn't content with Galatia. He wasn't content with Antioch. He wasn't content with the the philosophical center of the world, Athens. The commercial center of the world, Corinth. Or the, the, the trade center of the world, Ephesus. He wants to go to the political capital of the entire Roman Empire and plant a flag for Christ right at the heart of the entire world. That's his vision. Sometimes I think we set our sights small and then God gives us exactly what we're expecting. Lord, I want this. That's what I want. That. Can you see that? Yeah, I don't think the Lord can either. But that's what I want. And then that's what we get. But I believe that when we set our sights big and we ask God for big things and expect big things from God and attempt great things from God, for God, that He's glorified. 
Now, Paul went to Rome. You know why he was going to Rome? He was going there because he wanted to encourage the believers there. In fact, he writes an epistle before he ever takes off for Rome. And he says to them, I'm coming because I want to encourage you and I want to strengthen you and establish you in the faith. And then I want to receive a little encouragement from you as well in the process. He wanted to encourage the believers. Now, what was it that caused Paul to set his sights on Rome? There's something that's going on in the background that Luke doesn't tell us. In 55 AD, right at verse 21, Claudius dies. Claudius is a Roman emperor. You know why that's important? Chapter 18, verse 2, who had kicked all the Jews out of Rome? Claudius. Remember, that's why Priscilla and Aquila were in Corinth. Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome. Well, Paul's a Jew. He can't go to Rome as long as Claudius is alive. In 55 AD, Claudius dies. In 55 AD, Paul says, I'm going to Rome. Why? Claudius is dead. Jews can go back now to the heart of the Roman Empire. Paul didn't mention Rome before this. Why? He's waiting till Claudius dies. And when God wanted Paul in Rome, Claudius drops dead. Actually, he was murdered. But listen, when God wants Paul in Rome, when God wanted that on Paul's itinerary, Claudius is dead. Now Paul says, I'm going to Rome. Why? He can now. Before that, his... He had to sort of adjust his plans with what opportunities he had. And so he's sort of staying east. But now that Claudius has died, he said, hey, sky's the limit now. I'm going to the heart of the beast. And I'm going to preach Christ in Rome. Now, I think Paul, when he went to encourage the brethren, I think he had planned just sort of an average trip. Yeah, we'll go through Galatia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and visit some of the churches that we've started, maybe stop off in Philippi for a while and Maybe bounce over and hit Thessalonica. And then after that, we'll just continue west and, and go over to Rome. And I, I think Paul's planning probably with Silas or Timothy and Titus and some other of his traveling companions, maybe taking a Priscilla and Aquila with him. I think that's what he has in mind. Just your sort of your average strategic missionary journey, making some paths and visiting some churches and landing up in Rome. The Lord had something entirely different for Paul. The Lord was going to make sure that Paul got to Rome, but it wasn't like Paul was expecting. The Lord was going to give him an armed escort the whole way. And the Lord was going to make his travel to Rome at the emperor's expense. So the whole thing would be paid for. And he would have a place to sleep every night, even though it might be in a jail cell. He would still have a place to sleep every night. And he would have an armed escort and he would have food to eat and people to visit with him. And and he would have opportunities to preach Christ to almost every level of Roman authority before he finally stands before Nero. What's in Paul's mind? I want to see Rome. So he sets his sights on Rome, and he has in mind probably a journey much like the last three, but the Lord says, my plans are similar but a little different. They involve an arrest in Jerusalem, and I'll make sure you get to Rome, but it's as a prisoner. And do you think the Apostle Paul balked at that? I think he said, Lord, I don't like your plans. Paul didn't do that. Whatever the Lord's plans were, that was good with Paul. I don't think the Apostle Paul saw that saw what was coming. He's about to have it revealed to him what awaits him in Jerusalem. But at the time he says, I have to see Rome, he's planning a normal trip. And friends, I think that's exactly how the Lord works in your life and my life. He doesn't let us know ahead of time what's coming. Friends, if we knew ahead of time what is coming down the road five and ten years, we would bail out. We wouldn't be able to cope with it or to deal with it. So the Apostle Paul, or the Lord just puts on the Apostle Paul's heart, Rome. The details have yet to be filled in. But Paul wants to go to Rome. He wanted to go there because it was the center of the empire. He wanted to go there to encourage the Christians who were there. But listen, if you think Rome is a noble goal, if you think Rome is a massive target and a grand vision, 
Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 15. Paul says, I'm coming to you. And I'm going to stop in and see you in Rome on my way to Spain. Spain? Rome was just a touching stone. Where's Spain? Well, on your map, Jerusalem is at the easternmost edge of the empire. Spain is as far west as you can go without getting wet. Paul wants to go to Spain. And he says to the Roman Christians, I'll be aided on my way to Spain by you. I'm stopping in. I expect you to have an offering ready for me to help send me, minister to me, encourage me. And then after I have preached the Gospel in Rome, and after I've spent some time with you being encouraged by you and encouraging you, I'm on my way to Spain. Between Jerusalem on your right and Spain is 2,300 miles as the crow flies. Now Paul made it to Rome. But he never made it to Spain. His goal was this. Christianity started here, and he's going to take it as far west as he can go, all the way to the westernmost edge of the Roman Empire. Paul wanted the then known world to be colored for Christ within his lifetime. He didn't set his sights on retirement. Say, well, I've taken the gospel halfway to Rome. We'll leave it for the next generation. I'll leave that to Timothy and Titus. They're younger than me didn't say that. Paul didn't set his sights on kicking back and taking it easy. He set his sights on Spain. And listen, his plans were cut short by an executioner who cut off his head. That's how his plans were cut short. But had Paul lived, I have no doubt he would have made it to Spain. Why? That's Paul. I want to take it from Jerusalem to Spain. That man spread the gospel farther than all of the other apostles combined. And he did it faster than any of the other apostles combined. That's an accomplishment. Why? Because he was a man who planned and he was a man who had a passion. I want all the world for Christ. And as long as he could walk and talk and move and breathe, he was heading for Spain. Every trip, a little bit farther west. A little bit farther west. A little bit farther west until he would finally get to Rome, but only on his way way to the sea. Friends, next stop is New York City. You get to Spain, there's nowhere else to go. Cross the ocean. And I'm sure if if Columbus were alive at that time, and if he were readying a ship on the coast of Spain, the Apostle Paul would have jumped on board and said, let's take it across the ocean. That was his goal. Well, if you're going to go to Rome, you've got to make plans and you've got to hurry up. Verse 22 says, And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. The situation in Corinth needs to iron itself out. He sends out his advance team, Timothy and Erastus, and their job is to go to the different cities to prepare those churches to take up an offering so that when Paul comes through, he can collect the offering from the churches before he goes back to Jerusalem. So he stays in in Ephesus for a little while to resolve that, and he sends Timothy and Erastus ahead of him, and they go out ahead of him. Now, let me ask you, why did Luke give us these two verses and tell us all about this stuff? You know why it is? It's because of what's coming next week. Next week we're going to have a riot. Not here, but in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. There's a riot that's going to take place over the course of the next couple weeks. And Luke wants us to understand that this no small disturbance, that he calls it in verse 23... This no small disturbance was not the thing that drove Paul out of Ephesus. You see, Paul was already making plans to leave. 
Paul had already numbered his days. Paul had already planned his itinerary. Paul had already sent out his advance team. And he's getting ready to leave Ephesus when all of this breaks loose with Demetrius the silversmith. Luke wants us to understand that Paul did not leave Ephesus because of this disturbance. Paul never ran from opposition. Now sometimes the Christians took him and drug him out of town to keep him alive, but Paul never ran from opposition. And Luke wants us to know, before all of this breaks loose in Ephesus, Paul had already determined what his plan was going to be and how he was going to get to Rome. And from this point forward, the book of Acts is all about how Paul got to Rome. I want you to look at Acts chapter 28 as we close. Acts chapter 28, verse 16. From Acts chapter 19, verse 21, to the end of Acts chapter 28, the focus is the heart of the Roman Empire. Acts chapter 28, verse 16, when he entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. He's under house arrest. But the good news is that what the Lord set on Paul's heart in Acts chapter 19, the Lord brings to fruition in Acts chapter 28. Look at verse 30 and 31. And Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, This is in Rome. And he was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. Paul said, I want Rome. The Lord said, I'll give you Rome. And I'll set you up in Rome. Expenses paid for two years to teach my gospel. See what the Lord does? The Lord gives a vision and then the Lord fulfills what he gives to us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word and for the encouragement that it gives us. And even with all that we've looked at this morning, all of these details, we would just ask that they would be clear to us in order that we might rightly understand everything that was going on here in the life of Paul and the life of the early church. And Father, we thank You for the challenge that it is to us to lift our eyes off of our own circumstances and our own ministries and situations and to see sometimes the bigger picture. To understand that this church that You are building spans the centuries and it spans borders and we as well should have a vision that is in keeping with your heart. We pray that you would give that to us this morning and remind us again of how great you are, how sovereign you are, and how omnipotent you are to bring to pass those plans that we plan before you in all openness and honesty. And thank you that you can be glorified in what you place upon our hearts and what we purpose in our spirit to do for your kingdom and for your glory. We thank you for all of this and ask your blessing on us today as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.